Well, let's get into the word this morning. I'm going to begin in Exodus 17. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is this question or answering this question. What is the carnal mind? What is the carnal mind? I will remind you in Romans chapter 8, it says to be carnally minded is death. And so I think it is important for us to understand what the carnal mind is, because it also denotes our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So in Exodus 17, in verse 1, I want you to read this. All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And I want you to just see a common occurrence that happens with the people in the wilderness. And the Bible makes reference of this in the New Testament. But there's just a lot of murmuring and complaining. There's a lot of discontent. There's a lot of unhappy people. And if you will remember, it was not God's intention for Israel to live in the wilderness. Actually, the journey to the promised land was just a few days. And they could have easily made it, gone into the promise. They could have had everything that they wanted. They had all of the fruits and the vegetables and the grapes and the land flowing with milk and honey, moving in homes that they did not build. But because of unbelief, they didn't enter in. They had to spend that 40 years in the wilderness. And it really speaks to me about the group of people, wherever they may be, whatever it might be, who have come out of bondage in Egypt, but they haven't come into the fullness of Christ. And they just typically live a very unsatisfied life. They spend most of their Christian life griping and complaining and murmuring. And that's what they do with Moses. We don't have any water. So they chided him, which is to fuss at him and and just to ridicule him. And then they murmured, which is to go behind his back and just stir up discontent in everybody else. And so that is the situation. You often read it of the people in the wilderness, the murmuring and the complaining. But what is the demeanor of the people that are trying to bring the people of God into their promise? And you find that here as well. And I I just, I I think it's interesting to note here in this passage in verse 4, it says, And Moses cried. And he's crying out to God, and he is bringing the issues to God. And these people are taking up stones. They want to kill me, Lord. And I don't know what to do for them. And God has him go to Mount Horeb, where he is going to strike this rock. Colin and I didn't really talk about this message today. But when she was talking and making reference of Jesus being that rock, it just gave me great encouragement that this is what the Lord wants to talk to us about. And so there was a rock that was there and Moses was instructed by the Lord to go and smite the rock, to strike it. And when he did, water came out. And it reminds me of what the Lord said to us in John chapter 7. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Later on in Moses' life, because of the agitation of the people, he would go to the rock again and strike it again. And because he did that, because that rock represented Jesus Christ, the Lord was very angry with Moses and did not allow him to go into the promised land because he had done that. Because Jesus is not going to be smitten twice. He died once and for all. And atonement has been made. And it is not going to be done again. And when Jesus laid his life down for us, when, if you will, he was smitten, then out of him came water. And that water is the water of life. You might understand that as the Holy Spirit, 
the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so it's very important because this is the desire that God has to bring every one of us into his fullness. And so he says in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and you shall smite the rock, and there shall come out of it, or water come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then if you had noticed verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And I just want you to remember that, because after these events of smiting the rock, and then the water coming out, satisfying the people, and that's what's so amazing. I don't, I don't believe there's anybody in this room that could say, I remember a time when God really visited me by the Holy Spirit. I remember a moment in my life where God really poured His Holy Spirit out upon me. And I was just full of the Holy Spirit. You know, that was the worst moment of my life. I just, I just despised that. I couldn't wait for the day to end. I wish that God would have left me alone. I've never heard anybody say that, you know, and so here are these people, they're drinking water from the rock and they're satisfied now, and they would only leave that to go into more discontent. And that's the story of a lot of Christians. And if not all of us as Christians, that we do get these experiences with God and the Lord comes and he blesses us and he fills us and he satisfies us. And we're so happy in Jesus But we just kind of wander off as the days and weeks and months go. We kind of wander off, get back in our own things, and we're dry again, and we're murmuring again, and we're complaining again. And so I want you to see this and keep your place in Exodus 17. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want you to see how very real this story is for us. And that there is a uh, warning that we are given in the Bible that pertains to us from these events during the days of Moses. And so in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? We know that's Jesus as well. He said he was the bread come down from heaven. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust After evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written the people sat down to eat and drink. Rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. And fell in one day. 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ or put him to the test. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur as some of them also murmured. And were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so I think as you read this it's very self-evident that we need to take a lesson from these people in the wilderness. Because God was not pleased with them. And they suffered many calamities in their life. They suffered many setbacks, ailments, diseases. They fought wars and they they had to suffer through hardships with those things. 
Because they lived a life that was constantly moving themselves away from God. They were led by their lust. And as a result of that, they were moved from the blessings of God and the fine things that God wanted them to have. And so you read this back in Exodus 17, that after the rock was smitten and water was coming out, it says, and then came Amalek. And I want to talk about him for a moment. I want to talk about Amalek. I ask you the question, who is Amalek? And if all of these things that happened were happening for examples for us upon whom the ends of the world come, then there must be a message for us about this Amalek. And I believe that there is indeed. And I want us to see some information about him. I would begin by telling you this. Amalek is a picture of the flesh. Amalek is the picture of your greatest enemy. Because it's really not Satan. It's you. It's me. It's our flesh. The Bible says that Satan came to Jesus, but he had nothing in him. And therefore, Satan could not entice Jesus or lure him into sin. Because there was nothing in Jesus that was drawn to those types of lust. Jesus was perfect and holy and righteous and set apart. Absolutely and completely man. But he was a man without sin and without any unrighteousness or wickedness in him. And so when we talk about Jesus, of course, Jesus had flesh. But we're not talking about that kind of flesh that we look at each other and we see skin. The flesh is something else. It is a principle that is operating within our lives. And this is what Amalek represents. He represents a hindrance. He represents an obstacle. He represents any time there is a divine provision of God for your life, Amalek is going to show up and try to prevent you from enjoying it. He's going to try to prevent you from entering into the promised land. He's going to try to prevent you from entering into the presence of God, from entering into the spirit of God, from entering into the victory of Jesus Christ. Amalek is there to war against us, and it's our flesh. And I'm going to bring this out with you just a little bit more this morning. The flesh will contest every move of the Holy Spirit. Understand that. The flesh is at enmity with God. And so whatever the Holy Spirit is wanting to do, there is going to be a natural and immediate response from every one of us in protest. Now, we might not say it, but all you have to do is be inactive. All we have to do is not let faith work. And we're protesting the thing of God. Or we could disagree or we could murmur or we could complain. And we can do all sorts of things where the flesh will lust its way out of us. But the flesh is always at enmity with God. There is no truce between God and the flesh. And so this is what I want you to understand as we're coming to it. That the Holy Spirit wants to progress you in Christ. And the flesh wants to prevent you. The flesh does. There is nothing today that can prevent you from the wealth of Jesus Christ, the victory of Jesus Christ, the communion of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that can prevent you from that but your flesh. There is no power in hell. There is no power on earth that can prevent you from the riches of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can stop you is your flesh. And the flesh must be reckoned with. And so I want you to understand that we're going to come back to Romans 
Exodus 17, but I want to go to Romans 8. And I want you to read this with me in Romans 8 because there's some wonderful scriptures here that I believe are so enlightening and hopeful. Now, the Bible tells us this in Romans 8 verse 5, or we could begin in verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And I want you to understand that when it uses the word flesh or carnal mind, it's the same thing. It's the same word. It's the same meaning. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. It cannot submit itself to the law of God. And even if it tried, it can't fulfill it. Neither indeed can be submitted or subjected to God's law. So then, they that are in the flesh are the carnal mind cannot please God. So I think it would be important for us to understand this flesh. And this carnal mind. But look how beautiful verse 9 is. But you are not in the flesh. But in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ. He is none of his. And if Christ be in you. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life. Because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body... You shall live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Something very significant in this passage of scripture that gives us incredible insight or revelation into needed things we need to know. Is he says in verse 14, as many as are led of the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so he says those that mind spiritual things are going to have life and peace. But those that mind carnal things are going to have death. And the carnal mind, the flesh, cannot subject itself to the law of God. And indeed it can't be. And so for us to be spiritual then all we have to do is to be born again. If we're born again, the Spirit of God lives in us. Now, in that miracle of being born again, a sin principle has been dealt with in us, no longer leaving us carnal or of the flesh. But we have been delivered from that. The body is counted as dead. And now we have life through the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean to mind spiritual things? It means to be led of the Spirit of God. And to mind carnal things would be to be led by the God of this world. 
And I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. And and you might just reference that if you will. But I think most of you are familiar with it. But in Ephesians chapter 2 he says that we all lived according to the course of this world. The God of this world. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Or unbelief. That's what that word disobedience means. Unbelief. And so what is it to be carnally minded? It is to be ruled and led by... The spirit of rebellion that is operating in the world. And what is the rebellion against God? And so to be carnal or to be in the flesh is to have that satanic principle at work in you. And the only way to be free from that satanic principle of the flesh or of the carnal mind is to be born again. So that now the spirit of God works in you. And you will be led by the Spirit of God. Oftentimes when I've read this and talked to others about this in regards to Romans chapter 8. To be carnally minded is death. It just seems to be the way people think of that is the way you think. You know, you're thinking about carnal things. And every one of us has probably had many days in our life where as Christians we woke up and we were going through our day. Only to, you know, talk to ourselves and say, you're so carnal. You're so carnally minded. And that's not what Romans 8 is referring to. Because we all have carnal thoughts. We all deal with carnal things. But the Christian, the believer, the born again one has forsaken the sin principle. And he has forsaken that flesh. And he has turned to God. To embrace the Holy Spirit and to choose to let the Holy Spirit lead him or her. And they're spiritual. And I just love that. I want to go back to it. And I want you to see this with me. In Romans 8 verse 9. You are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And you would definitely be carnal or of the flesh. And so I want you to understand it. So we still have this flesh that's working in us. We battle this flesh, but we reckon it dead and we reckon it ineffective and without power because we get our new power by the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to understand that we're going to come back to this and talk about it some more. But go, if you will, to Genesis 25. And I want you to see this in verse 29. In order to understand Amalek. In Genesis 25, verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Remember that. Esau is Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he sware to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink, rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. 
And this, this would be a whole nother study, but very quickly, what is his birthright? It was the right that he had in his birth. He was the firstborn. And being the firstborn, he was entitled to rights that would be passed on to him from his father, namely and chiefly that he would be in the line of the Messiah. And he would become a blessing to the world. But Esau has no need of that. I have no need of that. I actually despise that. And what is more important than a birthright is my life. And I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob, you can have it. Give me the food. And that would take us to what Jesus said when he was here on the earth. And he said this. He said, any man that would lose his life for my sake, he will find it. But anyone who seeks to save his life, he shall lose it. That is the Esau principle. It is man trying to save his life. Multiple numbers of people in our churches today trying to save their lives. But they're under the Esau principle of trying to do that. I don't need this birthright. I don't need this Messiah. I don't need these blessings. I'm a man. I can do it on my own. I will get it done. And thus the murmuring and the complaining in the wilderness of the people. It is not uncommon to find Christians who are very impressed with themselves, very impressed with their ability, very impressed with what they have made themselves through the rigors of religion. And there is no doubt that they have progressed as far as religion is concerned. There is no doubt that they've got a grip on what people call morality and ethics and being upright. There is no doubt, but they did it themselves And God says that kind of righteousness is filthy rags in my sight. Your righteousness is filthy rags to me, the Lord would say. He comes and he gives lip service to God. In fact, he may not even see any personal relevance for the indwelling Holy Spirit or the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. It even smacks of mysticism to him to consider such a teaching as To consider it exaggerated and subjective. And he prides himself that I'm a practical man. And I don't need these spiritual things and these spiritual ways. I'm in balance. I've got, I've got my life in control and I've got my God thing and I've got my church thing and I got my work thing and I got my family thing and I'm in control. That's Esau. That's the spirit of Esau that is operating. In Genesis 36, and remember Esau is Edom, and so in Genesis 36, this is extremely interesting, in verse 8, it says this, Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites. And if you just go down there, And you go through the list in verse 12, you will find that Timnah was a concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. These were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. And so Amalek is Esau's grandson. And it's very interesting because Esau passed into his children and his grandchildren the same disdain for the birthright. 
And they would fight Israel and be an enemy to Israel. And God would make a declaration. And he made it in regards to Esau and he made it in regards to Amalek. I will never have peace with them. There will be war with them from one generation to the next. God is not going to make peace with our flesh. He is not going to compromise with it. And neither is your flesh going to compromise with God. It is at war with God and always will be. And the only answer to the flesh is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that we take up our cross and that we follow him. And it is this self-sufficient attitude that was in Esau, that carnal mind. And so I just think it's important for us to understand it. In Genesis 36, I just wanted to read one more passage of scripture about the Edomites and Amalek. And I want you to see this in Genesis 36 verse 31. It says, and these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. So Edom had kings before Israel ever did. Now bring this back to your attention. Remember what Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All of these things serve as examples for us upon whom the ends of the world have come, right? And he even uses these episodes in the days of Moses. And so it's very important. What is God telling us in Genesis 36? That there were kings that reigned in Edom before there was ever a king that reigned in Israel. And then if you would go on and read further, you would find that all these kings in Edom died. They all died. But there was a prophesied king that would come to Israel who would live forever. Because the only thing that will ever come out of the flesh is death. But the thing that will come out of the spirit of God is life. The life of Jesus Christ. And peace. And victory. And this is what the Lord desires for us to have. And so the kings of Edom came first. And then there would come the king of Israel later. And what does this mean to us? It means that before your spirit and will will be taken over by God and your flesh will be put down. You will be ruled over by carnal kings. The God of this world. The principle is there all through the scriptures. Cain was of that wicked one. Before there was the birth of the righteous Abel. Ishmael. Was first born of the flesh. And then later came the son of promise Isaac. Who was the seed indeed. And not Ishmael. And Esau was born first. Whom the Bible says God hated. And then Jacob was born, whom the Bible says God loved. And so you see this because you're, you're going to come into this world and you're going to live your life ruled and dominated by this king. The God of this world, Ephesians chapter 2, who works in your flesh by the spirit of rebellion and disobedience or wickedness that operates in this world. And no man escapes it. And the only hope is that we will be able to find salvation from this tyrannical life into the glorious liberty and freedom of Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit 
is the means by which we are delivered and translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the way that happens is that there comes this point in your life where you renounce your flesh. You renounce it. You, you renounce Amalek in your life. You renounce the carnal mind, which is not that you're driving in Baton Rouge traffic and there's traffic everywhere and you're blowing your horn and you're fussing at everybody. And they're, oh, I'm so carnal. It's not that. It is the satanic principle that is at work in everybody who has not been born again. And if you've been born again, praise God, you have already been delivered from the flesh and from the carnal mind because the Spirit of God lives in you. Wow, praise God. He does that through the act of the new birth and through His grace. And it's absolutely so beautiful. I want to go to Colossians and I want to read this and then I'm just going to have to wrap up today and finish this next week. But in Colossians chapter 2, he tells us in verse 9, For in him, speaking of Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This is so important. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. That is not an act of sin. The sins of the flesh referred to there is the principle of sin. The operation of sin. And so you have been delivered from that. Praise God. By the flesh. Of the flesh by the circumcision or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You've been buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. It's the faith, the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh. And so just verse 13. The uncircumcision of your flesh. Is a person that's in a state of not being born again. Their flesh has not been circumcised from them yet. And so they're uncircumcised. And they're dead in their sins. Because of the uncircumcision of your flesh. He. Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he embarrassed them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. And so when you when you come to this, and this is a beautiful chapter, I just encourage you to really delve into this. But y'all, God did something remarkable when Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. This is the operation of God. I don't believe anybody in this room can understand it. It's the operation of God. And so how do we benefit from it? Because we believe it. By faith... In the operation of God. And God did something so remarkable. 
in the offering up of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And Paul makes so much of this. That Jesus wasn't just a mere substitute for me. And he was. But he wasn't just a mere substitute. And it wasn't a place where he simply died. But I died too. The Bible says that I was crucified with him. Now I know I wasn't. Not physically. But there was an operation of God that happened 2,000 years ago. And when God's son was nailed to the cross, circumcised on that cross, my body of sin was circumcised. This carnal mind, this flesh was cut off of me. And it was placed with Jesus on the cross and completely judged and paid the full price Of every crime that it had committed against God. And now I am free from that flesh. I may wrestle with it in this life. That's why we're anticipating a new body. Where this sin principle is absolutely gone from us. But right now we walk around with this flesh. And we reckon it dead. And if we're led by the spirit of God. We walk in victory over it. It's 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 if you will. it, It would be. When man fell, something invaded the man. A foreign entity, a foreign power invaded the man. And operated in him. And would then operate in every one of his descendants. That virus, that DNA code, whatever you want to call it, would be passed on. And to all of his children. And that is the flesh and the carnal mind. That has brought death in us. And Jesus somehow. God somehow. Has reached into you and taken it off of you. He's taken that virus if you will. He's taken that intrusion. Of a foreign substance that God did not create you with. And he took it out of you and he nailed it to the cross so that you can be free. And if any man has the spirit of God, then they are his. That's a beautiful thing. You know, there's a lot of movies that are made, supernatural type movies and, you know, alien movies. And these aliens come in and get into people's bodies and stuff like that. And so close to demon possession and stuff, right? And um, there was a, 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 I saw a commercial, an advertisement for this movie called Venom. And there's this creature that lives inside of this human. And the, the scene, I think that I saw him, he was in a convenience store. And there was somebody robbing the store and this creature just manifested and killed the robber. But if you will, if you're familiar with what I'm saying, if you will, that Venom is the sin principle we call the flesh or the carnal mind. And only Jesus Christ can remove that from you and from me. And that's the new birth. And Amalek is going to do everything he can to keep that from happening in your life. And even if you experience that new birth 
and the rock is smitten from you and the water's coming out and you're drinking it and you're satisfied. Amalek's going to try to keep you from the presence of God today. Amalek's going to distract you. Amalek's going to stir up your lust. Amalek's going to do everything. You got this. You got it. You know, God says, walk in the spirit. The flesh says, before you can walk in the spirit, walk perfect. And that's what some people will try to do today. And I just simply say, you have victory over Amalek. It's supernatural because how did they beat Amalek? Because by Moses standing on top of a hill, lifting his hands. He was praising God. And the whole time he was standing there praising God, Joshua won the battle against Amalek. And when Moses' hands were tired and they came down, Joshua and Israel started losing the battle. It was a supernatural victory. And that's the only way we're going to win that. Supernaturally through the power of God. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for your great love wherewith you've loved us. Thank you, Father, that you have given us such truth, such revelation in your word. And Lord... It's not something we just want to learn. God, we want the experience of it. We want the power of it, God. We want the, 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 the victory to walk in that peace with you, to walk in that joy. And Father, we, we do, we renounce this flesh. We renounce this carnal mind, this sin principle that has operated in us, God. We have been ruled by kings that are so abusive. And all they did was bring death. But then came Jesus. And you're the eternal king that never dies. And you're the one that reigns in our life now. You have entered into us. Where that sin principle was. Is now the spirit of God. And we shall be like you. For we shall see you. As you are. Oh we love you. Let's just take a moment. and Worship and. You know, if you've never dealt with the sin principle in your life, you're trying to tame it, you're trying to control it, you're trying to make it behave, you're just like Esau. You'll never win. You'll never accomplish that. But it's to admit what it is. And it's to know that Jesus has already set me free from that. I want the Holy Spirit to rule in my life. Just ask him right now. Because he did it for you. There's nobody he would deny or reject.